When the decision was made to move them from home into a care facility, were they okay with that? Or was that something that was difficult to deal with? Hi, I'm Bobby. I'm a certified caregiving consultant and a certified caregiving educator. I also lead a caregiver support group in my local community. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here, we focus on the caregiver, offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might even share a laugh or two, because we all know laughter is the best medicine. And don't forget the wine, Mike. Speaking of best medicines, right? (laughs) (laughs) You got that right. (sighs) You know, it's interesting because we talk about, actually, more specifically, you talk about how uh, you may, there may come a time where you have to make the decision to put your carry in a, in a care facility and how that's a very, very difficult decision. I like to call them care homes these days, but yes, uh, some of us are able to keep the person that we are caring for at home. Some people don't, and there are a number of reasons for that. Um, sometimes it's just not safe. There are many reasons, you know, family dynamics, why that's not the best thing to do. The the important thing is we want to make sure people get the best possible care. And that brings us to today's guest, who is a registered physical therapist and is certified as a dementia care specialist through the International Association of Aging. She was a healthcare professional providing services to families as they were caring for aging parents. In 2003, she became the caregiver for both her mother-in-law and father-in-law. Please welcome to the show, Karen Johnson. Hi, Karen. Hello, Mike and Bobby. Thank you for having me today. <laughs> you know, we're, we're really glad to have you here because um, your situation is different and that's that's very common. You know, we know people dealing with dementia have a lot of things in common and then there's always a lot of differences. The fact that it was both your mother-in-law and father-in-law both. And from talking to you in the past, it was very clear that having them in a facility was the right choice for your family. It, it was, um, it was a difficult decision, um, but when we started down this road a number of years ago, um, having been in the healthcare field myself for a number of years and seeing people in a variety of settings, I started uh, talking to my husband about the potential options in the future um, should one of them arise and trying to uh, look at what those might be and look like prior to um, having to be in crisis mode and make a quick decision. And so we spent um, several years just discussing our three options, which at the time were uh, bringing mom and dad to live with us or hiring caregivers to go into their home to assist them or um, actually putting them into uh, an assisted living facility. And so not knowing which opportunity would present itself we just kind of had each of those scenarios on our radar. Now, it's, it's interesting that it's, it's difficult enough having or providing care for somebody with one form of dementia, but you actually had concurrent two different forms of dementia, correct? We did. We did. We had my mother-in-law um, who presented with fairly typical Alzheimer's 
uh, dementia, which she started at the age of 69 and um, was the subtle, the subtle um, things that you see with people where you kind of look and, and question if, if what is happening uh, is what you think is happening. Um, but then when the grandchildren started asking why, uh, grandma was asking questions over and over again, you kind of realize, okay, we, we've got a, a situation here. Um, and so mom uh, was about 2003 and about uh, 10 years, um, we managed the dementia with her and my father-in-law on the periphery until he in 2013 started presenting with uh, vascular dementia. And when he mentioned to us that um, uh, mom did not have dementia and she never had dementia, my husband and I knew that we were headed in a new direction. Now, you, you mentioned seeing indications that your mother-in-law had dementia of some sort, and then the grandchildren were seeing it. Um, could you mention some of those things that kind of put you on alert so our listeners might pick up on something like that? Sure. Um, you know, kind of forgetting uh, ordinary daily details. Um, uh, just appointments or having difficulty with the calendar. Um, uh, fear had heightened. Mom was always uh, somewhat cautious since I knew her. Um, and, but those, those cautions and fears started to elevate um, a little beyond normal. She was afraid of being away from dad. Um, and uh, so those were kind of the main things that we were seeing. Her cooking started to change, which is another uh, obvious uh, factor that mo many people see. Uh, so those were, those were things that we started noticing. Um, but in the beginning, you're just kind of wondering if, if you're seeing what you really think you're seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, our our daughter-in-law's mother uh, had dementia. She has since passed away. But one of the things that became apparent with her, she couldn't remember how to cook the things that she used to cook and ended up then being dependent on the cookbook. And then it just went from there. Well, my mother-in-law was known for her potato salad, which everyone loved. And when the potato salad uh, changed significantly, um, that's when everybody kind of realized there was you know, more going on than we knew. <laughs> It's it's funny how somebody is always known for for some specialty. My mother was a baker, mm -hmm. a cookie baker, as a matter of fact. Now she didn't have dementia; she passed before any of that could happen. But I always marvel at how somebody is always known for cooking something. Right, right. And when the grandchildren would like to step in and assist or make it, then you know <laughs> the recipe has changed. <laughs> We've actually seen that with our granddaughter with her grandmother uh, stepping in and, and kind of taking care. And, and, and Bobby can explain a little more of that with, um, with Mallory. Well, you know, Mallory was, qu was quite young when her grandmother started, but we happened to be up there visiting and we noticed that she was cutting her grandmother's food for her. She was guiding her to the table. Um, she became a little caregiver in itself. And it kind of led to another topic that we have talked about is children and teens who become caregivers for family members who are in the home. Um, now, your father-in-law, did he have a stroke? What was the cause of his vascular dementia? Do you know? 
He uh, had a heart attack in uh, 1995-ish. And so, um, you know, he was fairly healthy um, up and in, in, in physically active through his later years. Um, but I, you know, the, the uh, vascular dementia just started to set in with him. It could have been partly the stress of caring for mom because he was the main caregiver um, for her. And while she was physically independent and able, he was mentally and emotionally carrying, um, you know, the burden of, of caring for that family, um, doing all of the, you know, necessary tasks for them. So um, we don't know for sure. Um, I think he does have some history back in his family, not of dementia per se, but of cardiac and vascular issues. So that could have been, you know, a hereditary component there. So when the decision was made to move them from home into a care facility, were they okay with that? Or was that something that was difficult to deal with? Well, as, as my husband tells people, um, we didn't have uh, parents who were come along grannies. Uh, in other words, the, the, the parents that were willing to work with you or follow your suggestions or uh, attempt to look at options, alternatives, you know, what a scenario might look like, um, they were fully resistant. And so after the third senior scam, um, we were, I, I tell people, we weren't invited to the party. We were summoned to the party um, after uh, the FBI, the Adult Protective Services, and the local police department was involved. And so that really began, began our journey of um, managing them, not from the periphery, but from a, a hands-on standpoint. And um, so they stayed in their home for a little while longer but it soon became apparent that they weren't eating well, they were getting lost when they were driving, um, you know, they weren't caring for themselves for their, for bathing and showering and all those daily, uh, you know, I, things that you do. And they were, um, and they were just wandering and they were not safe. So we knew that we needed to, uh, you know, step in and intervene somehow. Now that's interesting because I know you have the 10 truths for dementia family and dementia caregivers. And that's pretty much one of your points saying that a decision that has been avoided by the patient or the care is something that you need to step up and make the decision for them as one of your points. And yes, and I, and I, I began to learn that as uh, my husband and I walked this road because uh, we didn't have parents that were cooperative, so to speak. Um, we had my husband, um, their son, uh, did not have any legal ability to help them in any way, uh, either financially or emotionally or physically. And so we, when we were summoned to the party, we were already behind the power curve. And um, as I've talked to other people over the years, you know, that's not an uncommon story. Um, and even if you are given permission in some regards, you still, you know, don't always know what you're walking into. 
in what you're able to do. And so, I, you know, my, my personal feeling is that um, if, if someone has to make a decision that um, has not already been made by that person, um, that it's, it is the, uh, you know, it is the right decision uh, for that moment in time, as long as they're looking out for the best interest of, of the people involved. You know, the point you make about walking into this without any preparation, we certainly did. I mean, we had talked about having one or more of our family parents come and live with us somewhere down the road. And then all of a sudden down the road was here. Mm -hmm. And in our ignorance, we thought, you know, it'll be difficult from time to time, but we've got this. It, and, you know, we had no idea. And that's become so important to me to reach out to people as early as possible to teach them how to prepare to care because eventually all of us are going to become a caregiver for someone. Very true. Very true. And there were certain people that uh, we quickly clung on to as we uh, entered this world um, for ourselves. Uh, you were one of them, Bobby, in the caregiver uh, dementia support group, which became a lifeline for me, as well as uh, a couple in our church who um, both had dealt with um, uh, spouses with dementia and uh, so had walked that road before us. And we literally uh, clung to um, those people, um, just calling them and asking them questions and, you know, asking them to... Uh, for advice and, and just support along the way, because we felt like we were walking this blind. You're learning as you go, and you don't always know what that looks like. And honestly, our prayer was that um, we would just honor our parents in whatever decisions were made, because, you know, again, they hadn't made those decisions. We had to make those decisions and um, what were the best for them. And it became evident to us early on that they could not come live with us either um, because of um, the, the uncooperation. And uh, mom's sundowners in the evening was uh, fairly severe. And so, you know, I, I just knew that my husband could not come home every evening to that difficulty. And they wouldn't allow us to take care of them. Right. Now, I recall you saying that once they got there, that they seemed to improve somewhat. Well, you know, they did. After that initial, uh, you know, kind of turmoil, because we had changed their environment so significantly, going from, you know, a single family home to uh, assisted living. And they actually, both of them, uh, we had moved them into the independent side of the facility um, because we did not think they needed the uh, level of memory care that they actually ended up needing because they were both physically able to walk and talk and feed themselves and take care of themselves and dress and bake. Um, but the first weekend there, they ended up in the memory care because they tried to leave multiple times and were not cooperative. So. Um, they actually ended up needing more care than we knew. Um, but as a result of having been there and having, having wonderful care by the staff, uh, having, uh, you know, nutritious meals, having people look after and helping them um, to 
uh, bathe and, and, you know, take care of their daily needs, just even supervising that at the time. Um, and then giving them the social, which they were lacking for some time because of the fear factor, they were becoming more reclusive. Um, so that did help to improve them over time. That's, you know, it, one of the points that I was going to ask you was, were they in the uh, care facility together or separate? And that's great. Um, and so I guess they were still living as a couple, even though they were in a memory care facility. Yes. They, they were, yes. We, and we made sure of that. We originally, um, the original room that we had for them, they were together in like a little apartment suite. And then mm -hmm. once they were moved over to the memory care side of the facility, they were able to stay together in a room, which was very, very important to us because they had always been together. Sure, mm -hmm. sure. And did you take items from their home so they had some familiar things around them? Well, um, we never got to that stage. We had planned to do that. Um, we, when we set up uh, their room initially, we actually uh, ordered some furniture because there was no way we could take some of their personal items. Um, again, because they were not, um, you know, working with us. And so we um, gathered some, some, we bought some furniture and gathered it and my daughter's and my husband and myself, we spent about a week setting up their, this lovely room for them. And, um, and so our plan was to eventually move some of their items in, transition in their personal items um, once they were acclimated and we could do that. We just never did get to that point. One of the, one of the questions I have, and we said in the introduction that you were a dementia care specialist, a certified dementia care specialist. Can you talk to that a little bit? Um, that is from a, uh, a, a class geared for physical therapy that I had taken. Like I said, I've been a physical therapist um, for about 36 oh, years, I suppose. And a large part of uh, my career has been spent in home care. And so I've uh, worked a lot with older people and um, have had experience with people with dementia for a number of years. Um, offering myself often to the family as the, um, the, the, the heavy um, or the person that could, you know, could be the bad guy. The bad guy. The bad guy. Um, the bad cop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm, I'm from New Jersey, so I like that. Um, but anyway, um, uh, so I, you know, would, would play that role and found it completely different when I was living it as the caregiver. So um, I actually attended a, a class this past year where they offered that certification uh, more from a physical therapy standpoint in terms of treatment aspects and perspectives. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that it's very different when it's a family member because uh, people that work in the memory care field often think when it strikes home, they've got this, they understand it. Um, but the relationships are so different in those two scenarios that if professionals, longtime professionals, all of a sudden think are finding themselves at sea very much like people who haven't done it before. And that was me. I was that professional. I thought, how hard can it be? I'm in your home for an hour and you can let me be the bad guy because 
I don't live here. So if it helps you to use me to your advantage, please do that. Um, but then when you are the family member and you're living it 24 seven and you're uh, living, waiting for the next shoe to drop and you don't know what that's going to be, it is completely different. Yes. Yes, it absolutely is. And it was something that struck me and I hadn't expected it when I spoke at the International Dementia and Dementia Care Conference in Toronto, I was probably one of only two presenters who wasn't a medical professional. Hmm. And when I spoke about the effect of being a caregiver on the family members and the fact that caregivers often die before the person that they're caring about, these doctors sat up and started to take notice. And one of them said to me afterwards, now I get it when family members resist their, their family member being um, released from the hospital. Now, now I get it. We don't see that. We don't consider that. It's another place where medical, where professionals are out of touch with what caregivers um, contend with every day, sometimes for years. And, and, and that's very true. And um, one of my hopes is that I can kind of bridge that gap as I've kind of walked both sides of it. And one thing that I will say to family members now, having lived through it myself is, if your family member, and again, this is a family member who may be difficult or a decision has to be made that you know, is not being made or there's resistance or whatever, um, I will say to families, if a medical episode occurs, it may not be a bad thing in the sense of now you can say to the doctor or the, whoever the health professional is, this is what's going on and this is what I need your help with. And it's a good idea. And something I often recommend is, is to video some of that behavior on your phone and take it with you. Good idea. Yeah, we had that situation with my dad where he would do a 180 degree turnaround uh, walking into the doctor's office and just be the, the, the model patient, citizen, whatever you want to call. And the doctor just didn't see it. Mm -hmm. And so I think Bobby said one time, what do I got to do? Videotape them? And she said, and the doctor said, that would be great. And we did. Now this was before cell phones and everybody had the ability on their cell phone to do it. So we actually set up a camera <laughs> to, <laughs> to videotape. And of course you get 10 hours of nothing <laughs> and, and five minutes of something. And, uh, you have to make your marks, but yeah, that's, uh, that's advice Bobby always gives, uh, videotape it. And, and that's great it, advice. And describing it to a family member or a physician, it's, it just doesn't have the same impact if they're actually seeing it. And unfortunately, that's why some family members um, doubt what you're saying, that things can't be as bad as what you're saying, because when they visit or they talk to the person, that's not evident um, and it causes a rift in families. Definitely. And, and I tell people, you know, they, they get to be like children, you know, your children at home, they kind of work things out and they're, you know, a little more um, fussy with you or disagreeable with you. But when they go out into the community or to other places, they can perform beautifully. And that's what our aging parents tend to do, right? 
So right. they do, and it takes a it takes a lot of, of effort on their part. And what happens is they become mentally and physically exhausted. So when the visitor leaves, man, you're in for it because they're done. And and it's the people closest. <laughs> it's the people closest who they let down with, which is us. yes, yeah. I, I compare it to you know when my kids were small in a in school and the teachers say, oh, your kids are so well behaved. And I thought, whose children are you talking about? Because that's not what I see at home. They never argue. Really? <laughs> so true. So before, before we close out the show, uh, do you want to walk us through your 10 truths for dementia families and caregivers? Um, cer certainly. So this is just a list that I compiled from my own experience and um, I have used it or offered it to other people as we are now meeting many people who are going through this in one way or another. Um, and so it's just things that I learned that uh, might be helpful to others. Um, so the first one is by the time you realize that the person has dementia, you're already behind the power curve. Absolutely. Um, I think, yep, that, uh, you know, by the time you're seeing things that are happening, they've been happening. Um, the second one, which you've touched on, Mike, a necessary decision that has been avoided um, by the person then becomes a decision for someone else. And um, to go along with that, number three, that the decision then that has to be made by those uh, children or spouse or other person um, is not a wrong decision. Um, if it's again made in the best interest of the person and I, I say that because my husband is uh, someone who you know has wrestled with that obviously over the years having never been given permission to assist his parents or step in to help them and so you know the guilt that goes along with that is very real for many people um, yes it is it is not number four the responsibility to fix or solve the situation. Um, we've each been given our own lives to live and my life to live is enough for me and I can help you with yours but I can't live it for you. Um, so you don't have to fix them. Uh, number five is it is your responsibility though as the person you know called um, to manage the situation. So in other words to to do our best to help mom and dad to honor them to care for them uh, you know, to do that as best we can, given and what, if what I we could, have. If I could interject for just a second, and one of the things doing that, that, that Bobby speaks about a lot, and we've talked about on the program a lot, is you have to go to their world. Absolutely. They can't come to, you, to, to this world. They can't come to the here and now. You have to go to where they are. And that's how you would best manage the situation. Sorry, but I, I just wanted to reiterate that over and over again. That's a great point. And, and that also speaks to the fact that as you enter their world, you also have to be willing to educate yourself as to what does that world look like? Because it's very different from what you might think it is, or what your expectations of it are, uh, or what your hopes are that it would be. Because um, Again, like you said, you have to go to them. They are not coming to you and they're not going to get better to come back to you. And that's right. a huge realization. Uh, number six, you don't have to please any other family members. 
And Bobby touched on that. Um, I, I tell people that every family, um, in my experience anyway, has the same cast of characters floating around. It's the, the person having difficulty. It's the, the person or persons that are going to be managing or assisting. And then the other uh, family members or peripheral people who um, are deniers or avoiders or difficult to deal with and are not happy with you at the decisions that are being made. Um, and or or, or w- want to tell you the better way. But, but they don't really want to do it. Yeah. Correct. Right. right. Correct. And so, um, you know, the circumstances from family to family are different, but the cast of characters is pretty much the same. <laughs> um, so uh, you don't have to please those family members. If, if you're the one who has stepped up to be the caregiver and um, you, know, you are the responsible person, then your job is to be, fulfill your responsibility to your parent or your spouse. Right. Um, it is not your, res- okay, and then to go along with that number seven, it is not your responsibility to manage other family members. They can, they can feel and do what they want, but you don't have to manage them along with managing your parents. And we did have that situation where, um, you know, we had some uh, extended family members who were very angry and upset with us and actually have cut us off, um, which, is, which is fine though, because, you know, we are, we are sad about that. We, we hope that they would change their minds, um, but our responsibility was to our parents first and right. foremost. Absolutely. Um, Number eight is a big one that, that so many people wrestle with. Um, uh, you do not have to fulfill the promise. I yes. will never put my parent into a nursing home because they made me promise. <laughs> well, you don't know what that's going to look like. And um, I, you know, I always tell people, nursing homes are really not the nursing homes that our parents were thinking about. Um, it's so different now um, with the care and the facilities and, and the emphasis geared toward people with memory issues. Um, it's really wonderful, honestly. And in many cases, the facilities are better equipped and able to, um, to uh, handle, to manage, to uh, look out for the welfare of our parents better than I could in my home, where I don't have the stimulations, the medical care, even always the meals that they could use. Um, and, you know, some, we have visited uh, several of them and, you know, they have nurseries set up with baby dolls. So, you know, parents can nurse their children. There is a workshop for people that like to build things. Uh, one even had a beach. Um, yes. Love it. And those are not things that we have at home. <laughs> no, not at all. Now, now, Bobby, what is it that you say people are really saying when they give the promise? I'm going to see promise? to it that you get the best possible care. Um, I advise people never to make that promise. But if they have, to understand that the message behind it was, I will see to it you get the best possible care. And you are not abandoning that person. You are... It, it frees you to be the family member again. You yes. can be the daughter, you can be the husband, yes. and you don't have to be the one that's directing them all the time. It can be very freeing for both of you. And that leads to number nine on my list, which says don't lose yourself in the process. Because as you know, 
once you enter that world, it can be all consuming. And all of the details um, that have to be managed and taken into account and decided upon uh, begin to affect you physically and mentally and even relationally. My husband and I really do not argue, but we fussed a lot at each other <laughs> over the years huh. and found huh. ourselves. <laughs> right? And so that we really... So often had to take a step back. And at one point I, I had to even say to him, if the ship's going down, I'm not going with it. Mm-hmm. Because, and I mean that meanly, other than the reality of, um, you know, we, again, we did not create this situation. We, we are happy to step in and help and assist and manage. Um, but, but we didn't create this. And, um, and we can't lose ourselves. We can't lose our marriage. We can't lose our family. We have grandchildren coming um, in the process of caring for mom and dad. And so, you know, I say that in all kindness and all gentleness and all truth, that um, the caregiver, as you know, has to take care of themselves or they're right. not going to be good for anybody. And part of that care is setting boundaries. And that's exactly, Absolutely. exactly what you, you do. And then finally, number 10, the biggie, the biggie, the the biggie in all caps on my page says no guilt, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. And I, I say that because I know so many children and even spouses who feel the guilt of having to make difficult, difficult decisions that, you know, they had hoped they would never have to make. And so again, it's, it's, uh, you didn't cause this situation but you've been called to um, honor and care for and uh, make the best decisions for your family member. And so do that without guilt. Um, And I like to tell people if they do feel it, and there's so many of them do, because human beings have this innate ability to blame themselves Mm -hmm. and, and find themselves at fault, to take five minutes, wallow in it and move on. Do (laughs) That's good. Um, You know, my next door neighbor said, you know, guilt is a useless emotion. I, I have no time for it. Um, so true. I have to say that I have not taught myself that I, c- I can find ways to feel guilty. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting better at it. I'm getting better at it. I, well, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I, I think as a child, too, sometimes that goes back to your family of of origin and maybe what you grew up with and yeah. all the emotions and, you know, um, characters in the family so yes it's easy to find ourselves in that in that position but yes i agree with you shed it it's a useless emotion so wallow in it and move on yeah and i think that's a good good end point no guilt take a few minutes wallow in it move on i think that's a good end point for this episode thank you so much for being with us karen well again thank you for inviting me to be part of the program day. It's, it's been an absolute joy. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Well, I got a couple of takeaways from this. One is um, you're often not invited to the party. You're summoned to the party. It's, <laughs> you know, I call it now that it's over with and I have some distance from it. And I've learned so much since, since the ending that it was a gift I didn't know I wanted. 
When I opened that package, I had no idea what was in it. <laughs> no, no, sure didn't. And the other thing is you don't have to fix them. And I think that's where a lot of the guilt came from. And that was one of my problems because as each thing came up, I tried to fix it. And there isn't any fixing it. So um, Karen had definitely put out a lot of information that's going to be helpful to our listeners. You know, it's interesting because I've spoken about being a male caregiver and if hearkening back to the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are Venus, or From Venus, and the, the guys are the fixers, right? No empathy or any of that stuff. It's fix it. And we have the hardest, hardest time with not being able to fix it. And so you, there's that extra um, genetic or, or uh, what, what, what's the word? Um, I guess it is genetic, right? Or chromosomal issue. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we really thank Karen for all the information that she put out there for our listeners. I know they're going to find it very valuable. You can find more information about Karen on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes, post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Missing Link is a proud partner of Hearing Charities of America, a nonprofit organization that supports those who are deaf or hard of hearing. You can find out more about HCA on our website or go to hearingcharities.org. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.